listening to Nathan Out Loud. I'm your host, Nathan Trainer. Thank you for listening to Nathan Out Loud. You can follow this podcast on my website, NathanOutloud.com. You can also find me on Twitter at NathanOutloud, and please email your comments and suggestions to me at comments at NathanOutloud.com. Later in the show, more on my coming out story, also an interview with and a song by artist Jake Walden. But first, here's my interview with Mitchell Gold. Today on Nathan Out Loud, we are joined by author and editor Mitchell Gold. His book is titled Crisis, 40 Stories Revealing the Personal, Social, and Religious Pain and Trauma of Growing Up Gay in America. In addition to running Mitchell Gold and Bob Williams, a $100 million furniture company which was founded in 1989, he also plays a major role in the National Dialogue on Gay Rights. In December 2005, he established Faith in America, a nonprofit organization dedicated to educating people about how religious-based bigotry is used to justify discrimination against gay people. Mitchell has been recognized as a major force for good in the fight for gay rights by numerous organizations, including the Human Rights Campaign, where he served on the board of directors for seven years. Additionally, he was honored by the National Black Justice Coalition with the 2008 Leadership Award. Out Magazine named him one of the top 50 most powerful gay people in America in the April 2007 issue. He was also honored at the 25th anniversary dinner with the Gay Men's Health Crisis. An Advocate Magazine named him one of 2006's People of the Year. Through his work, Mitchell has been able to forge friendships with many prominent members of the gay community and led to a number of them wanting to join him in creating his recently released book, Crisis. Born in Trenton, New Jersey, Mitchell lived in New York City for many years, but now resides in North Carolina with his partner, Tim Schofield. Thank you very much for joining us, Mitchell. I wanted to talk to you today about your book, Crisis. What does the title of the book, Crisis, refer to? Well, one of the things I realized is when I was a young kid and realized that I was gay, not chose, but realized it, it really became a crisis period of my life. Uh, the fear that I had that I would lose my family, that I would lose my brother, lose my best friends, and so on. And as I got everybody's story who contributed to the book, there was a real common theme that everybody went through a crisis period until they could figure out how to deal with themselves. So I thought the best title for the book would be Crisis. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that everybody that went through realization and then coming out uh, definitely can relate to that. Uh, What was the turning point in you deciding to take on this project and write the book? Well, almost two years ago, I was uh, in an interview with a fellow named Scott Shepard, who's an editor for a group of Southeastern newspapers, Southeastern and Midwest. And during the, and he asked me why I started my organization, Faith in America, which is, which sets out to educate people about religion-based bigotry. And he asked me why do I, at my age, put in the kind of time and money and energy into this advocacy work when I looked like I was doing okay. And I said to him, you know, Scott, I don't want one more kid to go through what I went through when I was a teenager. And I then proceeded to tell him about the crisis in my life and the, the literal walking nervous breakdown that I had every day and, you know, the suicidal thoughts that I had and, and, and just, you know, how really devastating it can be to realize you're gay 
in a society that's not accepting of you. And when I finished telling him that, he just looked at me with tears in his eyes and he said, you know, Mitchell, I had no idea gay kids go through something like that. And it really made me realize that there's a lot of really nice people in our country who just don't know the harm that they are causing or the harm that they are standing by uh, as bystanders and watching take place. And it, it occurred to me to do a book. Yeah, that's great. In the beginning of the book, you uh, started out with a chapter titled Stats I Wish I Didn't Have to Share. Tell me a little bit about right. that. Um, I realized when I got into the book that I'm driving and I just got to a toll road. I had to give uh, my partner okay. <laughs> change. To, excuse me for a second. No problem. Um, well, as we got into the book, you know, one of the things I never really thought about was how many gay teenagers are there out there? And it turns out that statistically, we figured out that there's over a million and a half gay teenagers. Hmm. And then we figured out, you know, how many of those uh, kids are really in some kind of a crisis. But then we started digging deeper into the numbers and saw uh, that, that gay kids are so much more likely to do drugs, so much more likely to commit suicide so much more likely to, to, to have an alcohol problem and, it, and, and sexually transmitted diseases. And it really, you know, it, it woke me up to the fact that, that this is really a mental health epidemic that exists in our country and nobody's paying attention to it. Mm-hmm. And not only is the book a collection of stories, but it's also a resource for the LGBT community and, yeah. uh, you know, parents, teachers, religious groups. How do you think sharing our stories, uh, those included in the book and each of us every day by being out, allows our community to make progress with each of these groups? Well, I can tell you just yesterday, uh, there's a Southern Baptist minister by the name of David Gushy uh, from a conservative evangelical uh, college down in Atlanta that came out publicly in support of hate crimes legislation. And I know uh, from talking to him that he read my book, and he it really gave him a very different perspective. And, you know, the, the interesting thing that he said to me was, n- number one, he just didn't realize that gay kids feel so unwelcome in their church and that they have such a problem in society with, um, you know, with bullying and so on. And the other thing that he learned is that the leaders of our advocacy organizations, Joe Salmonese, Neil Giuliano, Kevin Jennings, and so on, uh, that these are not radical left-wing liberal anarchists, Mm -hmm. but rather these are deeply committed advocates and and passionate about what they do because of their their history, because of their childhood. Yeah, absolutely. So so I, I know that this book is transforming people, and it's frankly one of the reasons that I'm so optimistic about the future, and I know that if we talk about what teenagers go through and what we went through as teenagers, we can change a lot of minds and hearts. Yeah, absolutely. As you were going through, was there a certain story that struck you or surprised you the most? Well, there were, frankly, a lot of stories. And as I was editing the book, I would often be on a plane going from coast to coast and sitting and reading and just be in tears because the story so resonated with me. But I will tell you that um, Mary Lou Walner's story of how her uh, daughter came out to her because of her fundamentalist Protestant religious beliefs, she rejected her daughter, 
when her daughter was in her early 20s, her daughter wrote her a note and said, um, I really don't consider you anything other than my biological mother. You have spiritually harmed me and emotionally harmed me that I don't want to have anything to do with you. Mm-hmm. And Mary Lou spoke to her minister and to her friends, and they all said, oh, she's a sinner, and just leave her, and, you know, you've lost your daughter. And some months later, Mary Lou got a call that her daughter had committed suicide. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you think about that, it's, it's, you know, it's such a horrible thing that, that this woman will never be able to get, to get her daughter back again. And Mary Lou regrets every day how she did not respond to her daughter's letter and take her keys out and get in the car and go see her daughter when she wrote her such a note. And uh, it's, it's a wake-up call to parents that family comes before misguided and ill-informed religious beliefs. And she now travels the country saying exactly that to parents. Right. And I, I became familiar with her story uh, in the movie For the Bible Tells Me So. And I know you were involved in that coming together. Um, yeah, I mean, she. I, I thought that was one of the. I, I thought that was one of the great stories of the movie. In fact, that's how I got to know her because of uh, Dan Carslake, who created and put the movie together, was kind enough to talk to me about her before the movie even came out. Yeah, it really is a moving story, and you can just tell the transformation she went through, and has become one of our greatest advocates. I think. Yes. Uh, in reading through the stories, I was also struck by how similar. Um, each of our crisis uh, ends up being in spite of the fact that each of us has such different family and uh, backgrounds along those lines. Did you anticipate that the stories would be similar in the sense of crisis, or was that surprising to you? Well, it, it wasn't surprising to me because everybody that I know, you know, all my years of being out and talking to people, virtually everybody has some sort of similar story. And the, the people that I meet that, that, that realized they were gay, told their family and friends, uh, and were accepted and everything was A-OK, you know, I don't even know if there's three people that I could tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know that a lot of times when people say that, oh, it wasn't bad for me, then when you really start asking questions and talking to them, then, it, then some things do reveal, oh, yeah, well, I do remember this time. And yeah, well, I didn't tell my parents right away. Why didn't you tell your parents right away? Well, I was afraid that they wouldn't accept me. Mm-hmm. So, so how many years didn't you tell them? Oh, for two years. So for two years, you lived in fear that your parents wouldn't accept you? What do you call that? Right. Yeah, well, I, I, yeah, that was a horrible time, but I try not to think about it. So, you know, I realized that every, all, virtually everybody's got the same kind of story. And um, you know, so I knew what I was getting into. But I will say that in putting the book together, I just had no idea that some people had even more pain than I had. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea, and I knew some kids committed suicide, but when I started seeing the statistics and talking to Mary Lou as an example, um, then I knew that there, there's something worse going on in this country than many people anticipate. Right. Yeah. And in the final part of your book is called Expose, a Silent Epidemic of Depression, Isolation, and Fear. And in that right. part, you lay out kind of an action plan for how to address the crisis, um, including resources of different organizations to contact. You also put in there uh, who not to call. Uh, why did you feel this was so important? 
Well, because I think these organizations that tout themselves as ex-gay ministries or reparative therapies, these are people that, you know, I, I just would like to understand their motivation better because they are really out and out lying and they're so misleading to people. But the worst of it is they're, they're causing horrible harm to people. And I have met and talked to people that have gone through parative therapy and people have written in the book like Jared Parker about how it has emotionally scarred him for, you know, the, you know unfortunately the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. And if people, you know, realize they're gay and they have deep religious commitments, that doesn't mean that they can't be gay. That doesn't mean that they can't be a healthy human being. And, you know, these organizations, the, the ex-gay ministries are just really hurting people. And it's about time uh, that people call them out on it. And Wayne Besson's organization, Truth Wins Out, is doing an outstanding job uh, confronting them and challenging them whenever they appear in different cities to their conferences and so on. Right. Yeah. But we could, we, we, we cannot allow these organizations to go and tell the lies that they do and not challenge them. You know, we just cannot stand by because while it might not affect us personally, there is a kid today, as you and I are on this interview right now, there are kids right now that are at these XK ministries and they are living a torturous existence. They are going through really extreme emotional and spiritual harm. Yeah, absolutely. And as we mentioned, uh, a few a few years back, you founded Faith in America, and you touched on the mission briefly. Tell me a little bit about more what that organization does. Well, I'm, I'm a, I was a history major in college, and I'm always intrigued by history. And I also uh, remember burning my finger on the stove and realizing I was never going to do that again. And, you know, we, we live in our society, and we learn from the mistakes that we make. And... Our country has a sad and horrible history of using religious beliefs to marginalize and dehumanize and discriminate against minority groups. You know, the horrors of slavery were supported by people using their religious beliefs. Uh, Women being denied the right to vote and equal opportunity in our society. Minority religious groups, interracial marriage, all of these horrible parts of our history were supported by people who quoted their Bible uh, chapter and verse and used it to justify their discrimination. And today, the same thing goes on against the gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender community. And I, I realize that the advocacy organizations, for the most part, don't talk about that. They don't refer to this history of discrimination. And I think it's a very important thing for people to realize. We've burnt our finger on the stove once. Let's not do it again. So I started Faith in America to to educate people about the history of religion-based bigotry. And it's quite amazing how many people I come across that don't know some of these different times, especially, uh, you know, the laws against interracial marriage in America. The other thing that we learned as we've been traveling around talking to people is that people don't realize the harm that they cause, uh, the harm that's obviously caused to teenagers. And that's why, uh, you know, we, we pay a lot of attention to is harm factor and to teaching history. Well, that's fantastic. And it is a great organization. Where can people find out more information about it? Uh, faithinamerica.com. Uh, and we also have a site for our book, crisisbook.org. And uh, you can people can write on there and contact me or anybody in the organization. Um, 
and I think it's a great resource for, for people. And they can certainly go on and uh, find out where to buy books. And one of the things I ask people to do is to consider buying a book. And, and by the way, I'm not making any money on the book. All the proceeds are going to seven LGBT advocacy organizations for teenagers. And um, But I'm asking people to buy the book and to give it to somebody as a gift and ask them to read it or to at least read the first 21 pages of people that need to be transformed and helped. Yeah, absolutely. I was incredibly moved by the entire book and the different stories. And when I first came up with the concept of the podcast and then I heard about your book, I was uh, I just thought it was a, an amazing an, an amazing thing. So I appreciate you, well, you taking it. Well, thank you. And I, I really appreciate it because every time uh, you know, people like you expose this book to other people and you know it, it can really save and help people and uh you know it really thrills me that you would consider doing this absolutely well we appreciate your time again for more information visit crisisbook.org i'll also put a link to that site and other resources that are in the book on my website at nathanoutloud.com again thank you so much mitchell for joining us it was a pleasure and thank you so much for this important book well, you're welcome. Take care now. Be well. You too. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. In episode one, I shared part of my coming out story. Since then, and in doing this interview with Mitchell Gold, I've been thinking a lot about what my actual journey was. As I mentioned initially, the actual experience of coming out to family and friends was an incredibly positive and liberating experience. However, up to the point of actually having those individual conversations, I did live with a nagging fear of being found out, and also lived in a constant guilt of what I thought was my sinful existence due to my Mormon upbringing. I constantly found that I was trying to suppress my sexual orientation and denied the fact that I was gay. In doing this, I didn't allow myself the joy and the pain that comes with romantic relationships. The amazing thing is that all it took was two words to shake that fear and pain. I'm gay. Through the process of putting this episode together, I've become even more aware of how important it is to be out and to stop listening to those who may tell us that we are less worthy of love or equal rights because of who we love. We have seen incredible progress over the past few months. We have also had some setbacks and disappointments, which make it ever more clear that we still have a lot of work to do. It's going to be an uphill climb. But by sharing our stories and changing hearts and minds, we will reach the summit. As I mentioned in the first episode, I would love to hear your story. If you would like to share it on a future episode of Nathan Out Loud, please email me at comingout at nathanoutloud.com. This week, I'm excited to have artist Jake Walden on Nathan Out Loud. Jake just finished up the Rock the Folk Out tour, and we'll be touring uh, in Colorado and the East Coast coming up. So, Jake, thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, Nathan. Absolutely. So, tell our audience a little bit about yourself, um, if they're not quite yet familiar. Right. That question, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, my name is Jake Walden. Uh... I come from Northern California. I'm from uh, the wine country up north, about an hour north of San Francisco, which is actually where I'm at right as we speak. Um, and uh, let's see, I'm a singer-songwriter. Um, and, uh, boy, there's so many things about me, I suppose, that I could talk about, but what do you want to know? 
Well, you have one album that I'm aware of, uh, but you know, I became familiar with you through the Rock the Folk Out tour and um, your album Alive and Screaming. Alive Screaming. Yeah, Alive and Screaming is what it's called. It's, uh, yeah, it's my first album. It's my debut album. It's, uh, we made it about a year ago, but uh, it's slowly finding its way uh, to people's hearts, I hope. Mm-hmm. And uh, Yeah, it's called Alive and Screaming, and... Um, yeah. So, <laughs> <There it is. laughs> from what I understand, you moved to LA. Uh, you were kind of trying to break into acting. What was the uh, the reason for moving to LA? Well, um, I mean, I've always been an artist, you know, my whole life. I mean, for whatever that means to anyone. Uh, to me, that meant that I knew that my purpose was to create. I guess I just didn't quite know uh, how I wanted to do that. So, I kind of tried everything. Um, but I did. I went and I got my degree uh, in drama, and I moved to L.A. to become an actor. Um, and while I was doing that, a couple years in, I went, I got hired randomly by Universal uh, Studios in Orlando, mm-hmm. and I spent a summer being like in one of those Indiana Jones, like, big bride or tour things where there's like explosions and, you know, shit like that. Were you <laughs> Indiana thinking, Jones? Well, I was like the character that leads people through <laughs> what have you. Anyhow, the guys that I was there with, they were hired from L.A. When we came back, we uh, we decided to make our own film. And it was called A Long Road. And I wrote it, and we went up and we shot it up in the gold the gold country, the, the mountains. And uh, strangely enough, I wrote myself to be a singer in the mm. movie. So uh, this was about four or five years ago. And, and so I started to learn the piano and started to really... Um, thing. I tried to make one song for the uh, for the film, and from there it was just like, oh, light bulb went off, and it coincided uh, just after that, like a major kind of relationship in my life, which you know, <sighs> which um, needless to say, uh, broke me in many mm-hmm. ways, and uh, I think through that and uh, locking myself in an apartment in L.A. for about two years with a piano, I, I, I figured out what it was I wanted to say. And then I stepped on a stage three years ago from, about just about three years ago from today, and uh, I haven't looked back. I haven't looked back. So wow. yeah, uh, the, it's, been, it's been quite a ride. Yeah, the, the album is very personal. Um, I can tell that it kind of came from a, a, a difficult part of your life, but it's very... Uh, honest and and moving. Um, you mentioned that it was about two years that it took you to write it or and record it. You know, no, actually, the two years I spent was actually just learning and figuring out how to sing and to play mm-hmm. the piano. I mean, um, to actually make the album, it took about six months. Mm-hmm. And from from the moment that I that I decided to make the album and it was like, okay, this is something I had a demo and I got a manager and a producer. And it was like, it was time during that time. I, I wrote about half the album in about a four month stretch and all the other songs had been kind of created over the several years before that. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's extremely personal, I suppose, and on a lot of levels, but, but I think it's also proven to be really universal. I mean, that's what anyone hopes, you know, mm-hmm. you try to, you try to paint colors, uh, on your canvas or what have you, but you don't want to put in too much detail because you want it to speak um, 
to the listener. You want them to interpret it. You know, I hate to talk about, well, what's this song really about? Well, it's about a lot of things. I don't, I don't, I don't generally write a song about a specific person or experience. I, they're generally um, imaginings of, of a lot of different experiences and people and philosophies and outlooks. And, uh, and so, therefore, their meanings constantly evolve as I've, as I've toured the country playing them as well, which has been a really cool experience. Um, yeah. Was the so, uh, Rock the Folk Out tour your first kind of stint on the road, or had you been working on a tour before? Uh, yeah, before that, before we did this, our second Rock the Folk Out tour. The first one was in December, hmm. and that was just for about a week and a half. Um, the year before that, I had spent just going back and forth, L.A., New York, L.A., New York, L.A., New York, L.A., New York. <laughs> And I'd never gotten to play outside of that. So we did that little stint on the East Coast uh, in December. And then this time was a full-blown month-long, you know, 10-state, 20-state. I think we played, <laughs> we sang 20, 20 nights out of 21 nights. And we did this 18 nights in a row. Wow. So you, you learn very quickly a, a lot. I mean, I learned a lot about performance um, is confidence. And you can't help but to either garner that and earn it or to blow your confidence when you're forced to sing every night in different circumstances from little theaters to coffee shops, to bars, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the only way to really learn. And you learn how to sing your songs better. Um, yeah, yes, that's... it was my, my first real foray into touring. And now it's kind of, uh, I'm hoping to, to not stop until, until I can't, uh, until I can't play anymore. Yeah, I love being on the road. I love being on the road, man. And I love being the people. Yeah, and your performance is a kind of a, an extension of the of the music is very personal. Um, yeah. Just watching you, it it is a personal thing to you, which also translates to the to the audience. And it it was a lot of fun to watch. So, thanks, man. I mean, I I take this very. It's funny, I. I, I'm I'm like most people, I suppose. There's dual sides to my personality, and one of them is this very serious person, and one is very fun and weird, kooky. You know, I'm the opposite of cool. You know, I just <laughs> to my own beat. But but the performances mean everything to me, and and I I really try to create a a world, and I try to put everything that is in me out there to where. Most of the time after I perform, I, I can't even think or move or speak really for for hours afterwards because I, I do, I try to you know, bleed on the stage if I can. And, and not that they're not that people that would come to my shows, that I would hope would feel sadness. I would hope that they're inspiring and, and inspire people to not be afraid to just be themselves and just put themselves out there and, you know, speak from their heart. And that's just what I try to do. So, yeah, and I think that your performance, much like you know, how you mentioned your songs, they aren't about any specific experience. Uh, mm-hmm. They really allow the audience to bring from it what is meant for them to bring from it, as opposed to you telling the story. You're basically, you know, like you said, painting a picture, and yeah. each individual takes away from it uh, what they're supposed to. So it was oh, it was thanks, a great thanks. experience. That's that's great. I'm I'm so glad to, to hear that from you. And and it, I think the best the best part for me is you know I I know your show. You know I mean I am an, an out artist. That is like you know just a, a truth about you know who I am. That I'm a gay person. 
But uh, my music has, has truly never been about that. And I've, when I decided to come out and to just be honest about who I was, really at the beginning of, of all this, I, I just thought it was such an opportunity because most of my fans are, are women. And, uh, and, but yet also young, straight guys. And it's very, you come to a concert and you're going to get, it's like being in New York City, <laughs> no matter what, you know, mm-hmm. but you're going to get a mix of, of young and old, gay, straight, male, female. And, and that's, that's really, um, matters to me. I really find, uh, myself in a unique position to be able to, to pull people together to be able to meet people that they maybe wouldn't and to celebrate what, um, is universal in all of us. And, yeah. uh, what unites us. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And very, I can tell you, your music does that. So very good. Oh. Um, I know that you <laughs> documented the tour um, for, yeah. tell, how can we find that? Okay. Well, yeah, I did. I'm doing, they're still running because, you know, they're a little behind and it takes a lot of work to put together, but uh, outTraveler.com has had me be a, a guest blogger. And so I created these, movies, these little mini movies about each little segment of the tour. And then I write a blog about, about the area and the experience and have pictures and they're really cool. I mean, it was my little creative outlet for all the driving and being on the road and, and, uh, out traveler has been kind enough to, to host it. And then I also, of course, uh, on my MySpace page do my own blogs and mm-hmm. all of those are available or on YouTube. Just put in my name, but they're really cool. I, I'm really proud of them. And, uh, I like to, like I said before, I like to express myself in a lot of different ways. And, uh, there's only so much that a song can say. So I like to supplement that with, um, video and with, uh, blogs and writings. And, and also what's really cool is that I found that, um, my little world, little Jake Walden world I've been trying to create is, uh, very interactive. I'm really interested in what other people have to say and what they create and what they create because of what I created. And so it's, it's, it's a really neat, uh, for someone who I didn't even own a computer until three years ago <laughs> and went, you know, until I was 25 years old before I ever owned a computer. Uh, and now I've just found it to be, you know, my space and Facebook to be just the most amazing opportunity. Um, so I welcome people. Please come join us over there. And there's this amazing group of, of ladies that have created the most amazing fan site that far exceeds anything I've ever been able to create um, that people can check out as well. And what's that website? It's like myspace.com slash Jake Walden fan. That's They're like great. the number one. But, you know, myspace.com, Jake Walden, that's the place to go. Uh, to, to check it out. I put live tracks up there. I put tracks on the album. And then, of course, it's all available on iTunes and Amazon and all that all that jazz. That's great. <laughs> I'm just now getting better about... I'm, only, I'm very terribly shy, actually, in a lot of ways, and I would never want to push people. But it is important for people to know where they can get the album because that's what keeps me being able to eat. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's the truth yeah. of being an independent artist, no matter how much you know things grow. We, we're trying to remain as independent as possible in a, in a changing landscape of, of music. And, um, so well, in order to do that, it means that people need to buy the album, yep, absolutely. Uh, which, they have, which they have, you know, it's been really quite a, quite a ride, quite That's a ride. And it's only the beginning. So. Well, thank you so much, Jake, for joining us today. We really appreciate your time and, uh, the music and what you're putting out there. It's great. So we appreciate that. 
Thank you, Nathan, for all the support. I mean, it's been really nice to meet you, and I'll be seeing you soon, I hope, in person again. Absolutely. So for <laughs> more information, again, you can find Jake's website at jakewaldenmusic.com. And from Alive and Screaming, we are going to play For Someone. Takes a lot to love another Even more to set them free Even whores can fall for someone Maybe someday you fall for me And there are times when I'm blind Other days the prophets mock we are masters of illusions As we shelter our desires Well, I'm not trying to tell you where you ought to go I'm not trying to tear you down I'm just speaking from my heart I'm just speaking from my heart So come on, mothers of the young Fathers of the world Tell them go and search for someone Tell them one day Return to me Well I'm not trying to tell you where you ought to go I'm not trying to tear you down I'm just speaking from my heart I'm just speaking from my heart Welcome back to Nathan Out Loud. I'm your host, Nathan Trainer. One quick thing before we go. As you may have heard in the news lately, there's been a lot of coverage of the don't ask, don't tell policy of the U.S. military. My good friend and fellow podcaster, Kathy, of Thoughts from a Leslie Mom, had some great coverage on this topic in her recent episode. It was her suggestion, and I'm asking that each of you take action this week and call the White House and ask that the president live up to his campaign promise and repeal Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Also, let the president know that the fact that 211 service members have been fired since he was sworn in is truly unacceptable. Please stop firing heroes like Lieutenant Dan Choi and Lieutenant Colonel Victor Fehrenbach. It only takes a minute, so call every day. You can reach the White House by calling 
Well, that's it for this episode of Nathan Out Loud. I'd like to thank my producer, Patrick. Also, thank you to Mitchell Gold and Jake Walden for being a part of it. Please be sure to check out NathanOutloud.com for the latest updates, as well as check me out on Twitter at Twitter.com slash NathanOutloud. Remember to email your comments and suggestions to comments at NathanOutloud.com, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast at NathanOutloud on iTunes. Remember, everyone, come out, be out, and live out loud. We'll talk to you soon on Nathan Out Loud.